Welcome to episode 204 of Control the Controllables. And what an exciting episode we have for you today. Now, we've just had the US Open a few weeks ago. There's not many people in this world that win the US Open or win a Grand Slam. And we've got six of them right here for you. Six winners of the US Open 2023. We've got the men's doubles winners, Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury, as they did the three-peat the first time in the Open era that a men's doubles team has won three events in a row in New York. And then we've got the women's doubles winners, something that's very special to me as their coach, Gabby Dabrowski and Erin Routliff, who had an incredible Roy of the Rovers run in New York to win their first women's doubles Grand Slam. And then another one that's very close to my heart, because I've worked with Harry Heliavara over the last 12 months alongside Lloyd Glasspool, and he partnered up with Anna Danilina, which is an amazing story that you've got to listen out for. And they went on to beat the world number one, Austin Krychek, and the world number one, Jess Pagula, in the final on Arthur Ashe Court to win their first Grand Slam title. And they all come on to share their stories. And what's nice about it is it's three or four weeks on now. So they've had a chance. The tennis world moves fast. They've had a chance to see it through a, a slightly different lens over the last few weeks. And you will not be disappointed. I'm so excited that you get to listen to this and to hear their thoughts. And I'm going to pass you over firstly to the men's doubles champions of US Open 2023, Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. Rajiv and Joe, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks, no worries. And we're three, almost four weeks on. And as we know, the tennis world, it, it moves so fast. You know, we're just talking off air there, Raj, about, you know, you win the event and then you're on a flight and then the next thing you're doing, you're playing Davis Cup and someone else is off to try and defend some points from the year before. Other people are fighting to try and make the year end. You know, some people at the lower level are fighting to 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 make ends meet. You know, it's, it's a crazy sport, but hopefully you guys have managed to have a little bit of reflection time. And as you look back to that to that period three or four weeks ago, what are your early reflections, Raj? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty pretty amazing when you can say you've done something that has never been done in the open era in tennis, right? I mean, like it's not really. I don't mean that to sound arrogant or conceited but i i just i feel like it's super important especially for us to appreciate the fact that you know we and all of our teams really everyone's kind of come together and put so much work in to achieve something that is incredibly hard to do um and that's sort of for, for me the biggest thing is you know when you're in it you're just trying to you know do your best to focus on the next match the next point even you know and then you know, when it's all over, you think about, it. I mean, it feels like 21, 2021 was so long ago. I mean, we were dealing with COVID. We were dealing with all kinds of stuff the first year that we won it. And you now here we are a couple of years later, having, having not lost in three years there. It's, it's, it's just pretty amazing the you know, how it's gone down and, and, and just the fact that we were able to do it. How was that feeling, Joe, when that final point is won? Certainly, you know, I loved watching the video. I, I, I love sport. I'm a big fan of you guys and and seeing the the elation on your on your faces uh, I think was enough to warm everyone's heart but what was what was actually going through your mind at that point 
I think uh, I couldn't quite believe it. Um, I think it was just, it was very, yeah, emotional. At the end, I think more than, I think for both of us, more than any of the others that we've won. Um, I'm not, I'm not quite sure why, but I think, I think it was partly just emotionally draining the whole, the whole tournament, the few matches. It was kind of, we played all those last three matches in a short, short period of time. We played the semis and final back to back um, and some, yeah, really tight, tough matches. And I think we just put so much, so much into it. I think we had to, we had to fight so hard, especially in that final, we weren't playing our best and had to really dig deep and, and compete hard and, um, just really try and find a way to get through it and get get that title. Um, so I think we were, yeah, partly just just emotionally drained. I think we were very proud of ourselves of how we competed and everything we'd done during the tournament and leading up to it. Um, but obviously, also just enjoying that achievement and having, yeah, done it three times in a row. I think we just couldn't quite believe it, and it was just. Um, yeah, felt really, really special. And and in terms of twenty twenty three, you know, if we take if we take the year as I mean, nobody wants to see Ram Salisbury anywhere near their draw. However, as the year went on, it was it was clear the results weren't what they'd been. This this happens in professional sport, right? You know, but did that make it more special, Raj? The fact that it had been a challenging year, you'd started then putting together some results on the on the US hard courts, you know, and then for you to kind of come from that position to to then be able to go and do that, did that add a little extra special spice to it? Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely no question it hasn't been our best year, um, you know, by by a kind of a long way. But I think we had reasons for that. You know, I think we dealt with some injuries and we dealt with some some difficult things in terms of managing that really and, and not being able to put in the kind of practice that has led us to have the results that we've had for the past, you know, few years. And so I think, as you said, we started to develop a little momentum. And for me, it was not even the momentum in, uh, in the match courts, although, you know, it was nice to have a good result in Canada, but it was more that like, I felt like we were able to put in day after day of, of good work on the practice court to feel like, you know, when we got to those difficult moments, we deserved to play well and we deserved to give ourselves a chance. And I think, you know, that was probably the most emotional thing for me is that not not so much that obviously winning was amazing, but that, that we were able to compete at that level for a lengthy amount of time, for the amount of time that it took for us to get through, all the way through a Grand Slam. And like Joe said, we had last two matches, you know, we played the number one team in the world in the semis and that was a, a good quality match. It was hard fought and then didn't play our best for a good portion of the final. But I think, we were able to stick in there because we knew we had we had put the work in to deserve you know to give ourselves a chance. And and I think it's such a good point and such a good learning piece that Joe as well because what we all tend to see is we see that we see the outcome we see the result we see the the performance on on the match court, but what we don't see is everything that goes on behind the scenes to be able to do that. So you know what does that look like? You know during a Grand Slam is the work done? You know, you rock up, you're, you you have what you have, or does a Grand Slam enable you, especially given the time of it, you, you're kind of there almost 18 days, does it give you time to almost be able to grow into the tournament and work on your game throughout the tournament as well? Um, I think it's, it's definitely a bit of both. Um, I think, like you said, we had a bit of a... We had a good run in, in Toronto and got a few few good wins, felt like we kind of 
yeah, played played some of 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 our better matches of the year. So we felt like we had, yeah, starting to find our form a little bit. Had a bit of momentum. We spent um yeah quite a lot of time on the on the practice court during those tournaments as well. And and yeah, felt like things were coming together a little bit. So definitely felt a bit more confident going into into the US Open. Um, but yeah, also the it doesn't kind of stop during the tournament. And I think that's yeah definitely something we feel like we're able to do when we're playing well and when we've done well at some of these slams is that maybe our best tennis isn't at the start of the tournament but it's obviously yeah it's two weeks long so you've got time to keep improving things to improve keep improving your your level uh throughout the tournament and obviously earlier in the year that's we didn't get the chance to do that because we didn't get through the earlier rounds but i think that's something that we feel confident that we're going to be able to do is that if we can get through those those first few rounds that we're going to keep raising our level throughout the tournament and, and on on the back of that raj before I, I move into our very quick fire at the end here does the scoring system suit you guys a bit more if you're saying that they almost you kind of feel sometimes you've got to get yourselves into the into the tournament i i certainly noticed from the grand slams this year it's a very different you don't quite realise how different it is, the scoring system of playing three sets, sudden not playing sudden death juice to that absolute shootout that happens at ATP events where you can kind of lose to anybody at any time because all it takes is almost five, five minutes of bad tennis, five minutes of bad luck, five minutes of great tennis by the opponents, and you're in a you're in a crapshoot in in a in a third set tiebreak. Does the scoring system help? the more mature pairs who who like like yourself and Joel. You know, I actually find that the the just the time, just the the length of time that it takes in the uh in the regular scoring, you know, without the no ad and all that is is something that helps us because it gives us an opportunity to, you know, figure it out, to to spend a little bit more time out there, to really give ourselves, you know, just a a chance to to play better. And sometimes like you said, those other ones, it's not even about luck or bad play. It just feels like it goes so fast and you don't really get your, your teeth stuck into it. And I, like, I really feel that way about the set, uh, sorry, the finals in, in the U S open this year, it was like first set went by, but we still knew that like they had to win a, a full set, you know, it wasn't going to be like a, a sudden death douche point that got a break or whatever it was. It was going to be uh, an opportunity for us to, to still, you know, have some, some time out there on the court to, to get into a state where we felt like we could compete so I actually feel like just the length of time. And then I feel like one of the things that we do better is that once we do find it, we're able to hold that momentum and hold that yep. level for a bit longer. And I think um, that proves to to be an advantage for us in the in the slams, maybe that we don't necessarily have in the in the regular tournaments. And what can we hope for Ram Salisbury the rest of the year, Joe? You've still got lots to play for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we're really happy that I mean with that slam win, we're in with a really good really good shot for making Turin um in a really good position for that so um yeah we wanted to finish the year strong I mean we and we like Raj said we haven't had had the best year before US Open so we'd like to do well at these big tournaments we've got two more Masters coming up so um yeah we'd really like to to win win at least at least one of these and and make it a really good um finish to the year and obviously going back to Turin um, got good memories from last year, so um, we're going to be wanting to go back there and defend our title. Well, a big, big well done, boys. I think there's 
you know, I was I was fortunate myself to be in the vicinity of, you know, Flushing Meadows the, the, the day that you guys won. Unfortunately, not on the court because my guys were playing in the mixed, I think, that day. But what I what I what I did see was a lot of people happy for you. You know, and I think that's that's testament to to you two as guys as well. You know, I think that, you know, there's sometimes people win tournaments and people put their head down and they're like, oh, bloody hell, they've won the bloody, you know. It very much was, you know, two good guys coming together to create history. Uh, uh, no one will ever take that away from you. You know, that's that's going to go down in the history books and you should be incredibly proud. All the very best for the rest of this year. A couple of little quick fire questions before we move on. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Raj, your idol when growing up? My first one was Boris Becker, and then my second was Pete Sampras. If you probably could have figured that one out. We can figure that one out very much. <laughs> <laughs> and and Joe? Uh, Federer. Your favorite Grand Slam victory as a pair, Joe? Um, this recent U.S. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd actually have to agree with you. I think this last one, for all the reasons you mentioned already. And a question that you might find hard to answer, but I want you to say the first name that comes into your head. I don't want you to feel like you're insulting anybody with this answer. It, you can't say each other or yourself. Who is the current best men's doubles player in the world? Joel. Oh, good thing you went to you first. Uh, current best, Neil Skupski. Raj, my turn. Your I'm turn. gonna go with Austin Cry Austin Kreitcher. Uh, you patriotic bunch, you two. <laughs> <Yeah. you. laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, he's he's got he's got a number one by his name. So I I if I and I've been around a lot this year. I I would also say Austin Kreitcher this year, and I would say probably number two Neil Skupski. So I, I'm not sure that you've gone too far away there. Um, um, one change you would make to the doubles rules, Raj? I would. Can I say two changes? You can say three. Let's let's make <laughs> let's make a stand one, here. <laughs> one one would be I would let people like in and out on the court of the court, so they didn't yep. have to wait for three games because I think that's ridiculous. I think uh, the other change I would make is I would like in the tour scoring. I actually don't mind the ten point tiebreaker. I think it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good entertainment, but I would I would like to play regular scoring in in the sets. So two regular scoring sets and and a ten point tiebreaker for the third would be my ideal. I like it. I'd go. I'd say no lets. Well, I think you should have that for singles and doubles, but I think college no lets. college style. Yeah, I like it, boys. Thank you for your time. Honestly, a, a massive, massive, massive well done to you and your teams once again. And and all the best all the best in the next few weeks. Hope to see you soon. Take care. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thank you. And great to speak to Raj and Joe and see them as they're preparing to play in Shanghai Masters 1000 event this week. And yeah, what a what a great turnaround they've had in their year. You know, looked like it was going downwards. The partnership was in in not in a great place, and you stick together. You know, you, as they talked about, there we're able to get onto the practice court together, and yeah, look at look at what happened. You know, they managed to make 
the 1000 final in Toronto and then built on that to then win their third title in New York, almost the, the invincibles. And let's see if they can go and win four next year as well. But next we've got a chance to speak to the, to the women's U S open 2023 champions. And this is a really special one for me because I've been fortunate the last few weeks and months to, to be a part of, of the team with Aaron Routliff and Gabby Dabrowski and to be, be there firsthand with them in New York to see the trials and tribulations that go on behind the scenes. Again, another story. Both of them had struggled throughout the year. They again came together as a, as a fantastic team. It was a real pleasure to spend that time and be a part of that and to see beyond the court and see them winning and the, the emotions that were attached. And this is a great chat. They're, they're such a bubbly couple together. And that comes through loud and clear as well. I'm going to pass you over to, to Gabby Dabrowski and Aaron Routliff. So Gabby and Aaron, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Thanks. And you're still smiling three or four weeks on. And as as I said, I've just spoke to to Raj and Joe there. It's like the tennis world's a bit mental, isn't it? And I think for you two, as as much as anyone else, you've gone from New York pretty much straight to, to Mexico, then Mexico to Tokyo, Tokyo to Beijing. You know, it all it all happens so fast. And it's something I don't like about the tennis world, actually. It's it, it's a really difficult, it's difficult to enjoy the successes in the moment because the next thing mm -hmm. comes along so fast. But speaking to you three or four weeks on, Aaron, what's your reflections on that crazy fortnight in New York that ended with you being the US Open champions? Yeah, I think um, it's still quite hard to put into words, I think. Um, it was a bit surreal. Um, now, I think, like you said, like going and playing you know pretty quick after you kind of make puts it into perspective in the sense of like you got to just keep going keep fighting um but yeah that it was an incredible two weeks that I'll remember for the rest of my life 100% it was amazing and Gabby have you been able to enjoy it at all um not too much <laughs> um I celebrated a little bit after the Guadalajara final actually before flying to Tokyo so that maybe counts kind of <laughs> as a small celebration that includes the result in Guadalajara and the result um, at the US Open. But no, it was a really quick turnaround. Haven't really been able to switch off and enjoy properly. But, um, you know, the end of season is coming soon. We've got a final push. So I'll celebrate later. It's fine. <laughs> and, and when you reflect, if we go into a, a little bit more detail now, Obviously, I was there with you, so I have my own reflections on it as well. But first round, you were set down. Second round, mm -hmm. three all, love 40 down in the third. Quarterfinal, 6-2, two, two love, looking close to being down and out. And and then 7-2 down in the final set tie break. You know, and I guess what it brings to me, Aaron, is the question of of success you know, and, and success and failure is so close in, 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 in how we perceive it. If we if our success measure is winning, 
then and 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 our failure measure is losing then we're always in this kind of strange place where we're never that far away so as you reflect back to those moments what as you went through was that was there a moment where you thought shit we're done here <laughs> was there a moment <laughs> where you thought this is going to be our year we're going to keep on going or were you just living that moment um i think there might have been I think there was a few thoughts of like, oh shit, we're done here, kind of, I think. Um, just because like there, you know, like you said, I mean, 7-2 in the quarters, like that was like a, you're kind of, I don't want to say down now, obviously, because we ended up winning the match, but it felt like it was, you know, the end of what still would have been a really good, you know, result for us. Um, and no, I don't, I haven't people have asked me if I've like let myself, if I let myself think like, Oh, this is our year to win or like think about winning the U S open. And I realistically like never, ever thought that until it was like set five, three, 40, 15 in the finals, like until match points happened. That's when I was like, okay, like that's <laughs> when the moment kind of got to me or like, that's when I thought it. But until then I never really thought it. I was just like staying in the moment, you know, being there with Gabby and just trying to fight the best that I could and the best that we could together, basically. And if you get to that point, Gabby, where you're thinking we could win the US Open title here, how do you even swing the tennis racket? Well, I pretended it wasn't. <laughs> I pretended the finals was the first round match that got moved indoors on Ash. There was a slot open. And because I actually experienced that before. So that didn't seem like a weird thing to me. I'd been in a position where I played a match outdoors. It rained. We got moved to Ash to finish the match or I played a full match on Ash. And so that to me felt doable because um, I'd been there before. And so I kind of just tricked myself for a while thinking that that was the scenario versus like, oh, I'm actually playing for a Grand Slam title here. You know, something that's something that I've wanted for a really long time. Because otherwise, I think I would have gotten my own way too much. But somebody's listening going, yeah, yeah, but I try and do that. But then this this little bloody voice, this little monkey jumps up and goes, no, mm -hmm. it's not. No, it's not. This is a Grand mm -hmm. Slam final. You're playing for a Grand Slam final. Don't screw it up. So how, mm -hmm. so, how, so how do you stop that voice? Or how do you tolerate that voice if it does appear? Um, in that match, I do remember thinking a lot about uh, intentionality and well actually in all of our matches I would say even when we were struggling it was kind of like we kind of knew why I would say and so in the finals it was like okay if we lost a point it felt like pretty clear why we lost it or when we won a point it was quite clear why we won it and and how we made our opponents uncomfortable that day and I think we had a really good game plan going into that match um, and I feel like we both stuck to it as as best as we could and um, I think that's what helped us stay present uh, throughout everything there was a little moment where when I fell I wasn't really sure what was going on for about 10 minutes afterward but luckily Aaron carried me and, and then we won that first set because had we lost that first set who knows what would have happened <laughs> and if that luckily it was it was indoors at Ash because that lob on set point I think it would have hit the moon oh yeah I think it would have hit the moon. Now, if it was outdoors, it would have hit the moon. If it was in a normal indoor court, it definitely would have hit the roof. And I've never seen such a high lob in all my life. And it was like, 
just watching it. And then there was that moment. Oh my God, she's going to smash it. She's not going to bounce. Let yeah, the ball yeah. bounce. You know, I descri- describe that moment, Erin. Yeah, I don't, I've never hit a lob that high ever. And I feel like between the two of us, it's normally Gabby lobbing. So I think maybe I was just like, well, she hit a really high lob to me. And I think it was like a spite thing. Maybe I were like, I was just like, fine, I'll do it better. And I'll just like love it higher. And then she ended up like missing. And I was like, oh, that worked. <laughs> because it was, a, it was, but I, I, as you saw me and Bruce and Bruce's errands coach, to, to you listening uh we jumped on the court like little children when we got a chance to hit on Arthur Ash the the couple of days yeah. that we managed to get on the court before and hit balls to the crowd and you know act like immature males that we that we maybe are but it was <laughs> when you went to hit a smash I remember thinking or even a serve there's such a kind of explosion of like sensory overload that was happening at the top of ash when the when when the roof was closed it's yeah such a different such a different feeling such a different environment how we how were you erin you you hadn't played a match on ash before how were you able to adapt to, to that situation so well um i think hitting i think what do we hit the day before on it once that helped a lot um I really do like indoor tennis. So I was kind of like using that as a, you know, a positive because I was like, oh, well, the roof's closed. Like there's no wind. So I really like that. So I just was, and when I was serving and when I was like hitting overheads, I think, yeah, I don't actually know. I was, I mean, I had a little bit of an ab thing going on. So maybe I was just trying not to like make that too worse. So I wasn't actually thinking about the roof and everything being closed. I don't actually know. I don't even think I thought about the roof being closed one time, but I guess- that's good. That's a, that, That's certainly a good thing. And Gabby, I'm going to bring you into that that thing that I mentioned there around success and failure. And this, I guess, is a more more general. Well, that's a life thing, really, isn't it? But if we bring it in into the the, the tennis space, uh, you know, is it is it fair that we measure success and failure when it's when it's such there's so many things out of our control and I guess the margins, the margins are so small, you know, we take that, that's quite a normal grand slam journey, right? You know, it's very, it's very abnormal that someone's gone on this journey where they've won straight sets. Emma Raducanu did it, you know, that year, that was, that was really abnormal, you know, but it, it tends to be that everyone can pinpoint a match or two that they were one or two points away from losing but by overcoming that adversity at that time, it ends up being this record-breaking, incredible, historic historic event that happens. So how else can we measure success if that's, if that's the case? Um, I think a few different ways. Uh, without the outcome, I think you can measure success by the effort that you gave. Uh, on that day. And and I also think effort looks a little different day to day. It's not always going to be the exact same um, outcome and what looks like best efforts to other people. But I think, you know, inside when you've done it. So I think that's one benchmark for yourself on how to measure it. I think another one can be your commitment to a game plan um, and your intentionality and see how the execution goes. And I think that's that's been one thing that's helped me a lot the last few years, I would say, um, 
and why I think some of the results that I've had that were a little bit more consistent is those weeks I was very committed to the process, to the game plan, regardless of the score, regardless of the opponents. What else can be a good measure? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do you have any ideas? No, I think the doing the like the game plan, the process, like you said, like having the intention, like if you get off the court and you're like, you know, I stuck to the game plan. I really committed to it every single point. And like, I think for us, we're playing, you know, the best players in the world every single week. So sometimes mm-hmm. they're going to wake up and they're just going to, you know, play really, really well. And we can also play really, really well, but we can still lose. And I think. I mean, a turning point in my career was like when I got better at losing, like you just had to find the positives in it. And, you know, ultimately we're losing every single week. So you kind of have to get good at it, but not too good at it that you're comfortable fair. doing. It. <laughs> yeah, fair. yeah, it's not easy. No, it's not. And and some some nice lessons, I think, there for, you know, a lot of young young players or, or coaches that are, that are listening to it. You know, I think, you know, having having those processes that are in place, is, is is vitally important and understanding that you know sometimes you have done everything right but you didn't quite win on that day you know but you're giving yourself the the best possible op- opportunity and 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 I know we've we've talked about the final and the the, the incredible the incredible achievement and it, and it and it really is and I, I think at this point I also I, I still haven't had it double checked but I, I was told that you were the first women's doubles team in 23 years that are both doubles players, you know, that, and, you know, somebody also told me six months ago that women's doubles players together don't win grand slams. You know, there's always at least one, Mm. one singles player. And I think that, that is an inspiration for so many. I think you've kind of paved the way for, for, for so, for so many people, but why do you think Gabby that, that has been the case. And like I say, I'm not factual on that, but it's certainly when I look back over a few years, it has been the case. Why do you think in women's doubles, that's tended to be a single, at least one singles player, whereas men's doubles, it hasn't been. And then my second part to that question is how have you as a team counted that and created that historic moment as well? Well, I would say there have been moments where a lot of really great predominantly doubles teams have come very close to the title um, of being, you know, women's doubles grand slam champion. There's a little bit of a difference, I think with men's doubles and women's doubles though. I think men's doubles, um, the points tend to be a little bit shorter. And so that might favor doubles teams that can get the point done in, in, you know, two, three, four shots or less. Uh, just cause there's a little bit more power. I feel like, yeah, they have a better wingspan at the net. So they just catch more volleys and the points end faster. Whereas in women's doubles, you know, we just don't have like that same physicality and presence. So the, the rallies tend to go a little bit longer, I would say on average. And because of that, usually when rallies go longer, it tends to favor, you know, beautiful ground strokers. So then I think, yeah, it makes sense that at least one predominantly singles player would have won a Grand Slam for for that many years. Did I hear you say, but we are working on having that presence? Did I? No, but yes, we are. <laughs> I mean, well, that's why I was going to come to my second point, which was your second question, <laughs> which is what we have done to have success. And I think that 
in particular at the U.S. Open, we had great net presence and we had great play calling and we had a great team supporting us when, you know, we, we really needed you guys too to help us find clarity in some moments that we'd never experienced before on a tennis court. So I think we kind of were able to cover all our bases in terms of maximizing our strengths and imposing the best parts of our games, as well as, you know, really having a very good team atmosphere, which helped pulled us through the toughest moments, regardless of whatever the game plan was. Um, so I think we kind of had like the full package uh, in particular for that tournament. And, and luckily it paid off for us. Good, a really good answer. And, 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 and I think Aaron, the one thing I'd then like to ask you, you, Go for him. I think, I believe you were 60 in the world and 25 sort of rankings going in. Low expectations, you know, a dangerous team. You know, both of you are, are great doubles players and have got a great reputation for being top doubles players, but probably didn't go in expecting to be winning the US Open, you know, but were able to really settle into then really committing to the process. You then come out the other end as... U.S. Open champions, target on the back. All of a sudden, people have seen you play a little bit more as a team. You know, you would have had a lot of people watching those matches, understanding maybe a little bit more strengths, weaknesses, how to play against you. There's a word that fascinates me in tennis, and it's expectation. And I think it's the devil. <laughs> I really do. I think it's it's the it's a word that I yeah it winds me up when I hear it you know people even using it in the wrong terminology because I think there's a big difference between a standard and an expectation you know we should set high standards but expectations if they get too high it can cause a problem so how how are you now looking to manage that you know I know you've played three events since had more success, which is arguably as impressive, if not more impressive, to then back it up and go and make a final level 1,000 event, come very close to winning that. Then you've had a couple of of, of, of close, tough losses. Um, where does that now leave you, and how are you now going to manage that expectation of being a Grand Slam champion? Yeah, I think, um, to be honest, these are all feelings that I'm, and I think we are obviously navigating kind of for the first time. Um, I totally agree when like expectations, if you have them too high, like that's never a good thing. I always, I think I've played my best tennis in my career, like having really low expectations. And that's not saying that I don't expect like really good and positive things out of myself. It's more just um that's how I stick to like being process oriented rather than worrying about the outcome and yeah I mean there's probably like a little bit more target on our back but also like that th these are all good problems to have at the end of the day like pressure is a privilege and I think that that's just something that um yeah we need to remember and yeah I think we're excited obviously the last two tournaments have been tough um it feels like it's been go 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 like ever since the u.s open like gabby said at the beginning but i mean um yeah like i said these are all like good problems <laughs> quotation marks to have um so we're just like really excited we're gonna play another tournament next week and yeah i think we're just really excited to get going again and yeah good stuff and then you mentioned it gabby and in, in your eyes lit up when you talked about off season, um, it's it's not a million miles away. 
You know, that was the, the biggest smile of the day. And only tennis players and tennis people know that, you know, because it's it's brutal, right? And even the off-season isn't very long. You know, you, you really, I know you've potentially got Billie Jean King Cup finals as well. You know, and the, the off-season then becomes a two, three week, if you're lucky, to, to, to be able to have that. But I'm sure one of the plans is to sleep. And it's something that is 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 well needed. But what what are your plans for both of you? And starting with you, Gabby, what are your plans going to be during the off season period? Um, not completely finalized for the full break, but part of it I think will be a cruise with my mom. Nice. Um, last year when we made the WTA finals, one of our gifts was a Seaborn cruise, which is an incredible gift, and they want us to use it in 2023, and so. Of course, you know, off season is really the only time to be able to do that and enjoy it properly. And uh, yeah, so that'll be that'll be in November, towards the end of November. Yeah, my mom and I were, were really excited. She likes she likes cruises, and I've never been on one, so it'll be an adventure. <laughs> they're they're brilliant. I didn't know that I that I liked them. I was like, oh, cruise, I'll just feel sick the whole time. <laughs> But we've taken <laughs> we've taken the kids on it on a couple in the last few years and amazing. You don't know that you're on a okay, boat, good. unlimited entertainment, fantastic. And then you get to see lots of different places. And what about awesome. yourself, Erin? Yeah, not sure yet. Um, definitely spend some time at home um, with my family in Toronto. Probably go to my apartment in Montreal. Um, and then yeah, tentative plan would be to head to New Zealand probably like middle December like I normally do. But yeah, as for the off weeks, I don't really know. Like you said, sleep, eat well. Find your rest. favorite cookie shop. <laughs> I mean, I Exactly. Have, Find I, a different one. I have to share this story. I mean, I've I've never been involved in, in Grand Slam winning, winning titles and to, to be involved in two during the weekend. And I thought if that happened, there were going to be some monster parties happening. You know, if you win a Grand Slam, <laughs> There's going to be some serious parties. <laughs> Harry and Anna won. We were halfway through the first glass of champagne at Flush and Meadows. And Harry said, right, I've got to go off, off to get a flight. And I was like, all right, okay, that, that's that one done. That's that one done. And then obviously we went out, very, ni very nice meal. And, and, and you guys wanted to go and get a cookie in some like dodgy <laughs> street in, in New York, which was next to the marijuana shop. I've got a selfie <laughs> of you guys, US Open champions celebrating at the cookie shop next to the marijuana shop, by the which we didn't go in, by the way, uh, in 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 New York. So, <laughs> not, yeah. not, not <laughs> yeah, not not quite the glamour life, but hey, a, a good cookie's a good cookie, I guess. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we were so exhausted it's hard to party when you're that tired <laughs> yeah it wasn't levain but it was it, was it wasn't levain that's for sure and our quick fire round that we always do here on controller controllables a few very short sharp questions you have to give an answer don't play it safe get off the fence you cannot name each other or yourself in the first question who is the current Best women's doubles player in the world, Erin. <laughs> I would say Elise Mertens. She just became world number one, so it's an obvious answer. Gabby? Yeah, Mer Mertens. He's had the same. 
<laughs> That's so boring. That was so boring. Wait, but it's who we think is the best or who is ranked who, as wise. Who, no, who do you think is the current best women's doubles player in the world? Uh, still at least Burns, I think. She's tough to play. I would say, okay, I'm going to give a, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm butchering the way how you say your name, but Sue say. Oh, Sue Shea. Sue Shea. She won two slams with two yeah. different partners this True year. That. True that. Good answer. Yeah, she she deserves a mention, that's for sure. What's your biggest learning from your US Open experience, Gabby? Uh, oh, my biggest learning in one sentence. I can think of a perfect sentence. Yeah, I can too. You want me to say it? <laughs> say what you want to say. Okay, don't be a dickhead. <laughs> and, and, and how's that going? <laughs> well, we had a little dip. <laughs> but we're <Stop>. back we're back <laughs> and your your biggest learning Aaron um that Taylor Swift always gets the job done <laughs> yeah if someone wants us to win a match just play Taylor Swift on the changeovers literally play Taylor Swift on, on the changeovers <laughs> and we will win <laughs> well I I learned that almost anything can be achieved if you come together as a team, you know, and yeah, obviously it, if, if if you have the ability, that doesn't mean that like my next door neighbor yeah. who's never played tennis all of a sudden rocks up and thinks <laughs> they're going to win US Open. But, you know, if you have the ability, there's, there's great things can be achieved by sticking together as a team. Yeah. Sudden death or normal, Aaron? Normal. 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 Three sets or third set match tiebreak, Gabby? Three full sets. Three full sets. Okay, so why? To me, like, that's what tennis is. I mean, there's a there's a reason why, you know, the guys don't feel like they want to play two out of three at slams and they want to play three out of five. And there's a reason why, like, we're hesitant to, to change the scoring to something shorter. It's because when you change the scoring to something shorter, it becomes more about luck and less about skill and stamina and really figuring out a strategy over the course of the match of how to beat your opponent. And so, yeah, I'm all for the longer scoring formats um, in particular for doubles because it's just a crapshoot otherwise. All fair points. And, and last, last question to ask. What are your goals for the rest of 2023, Erin? Yeah, our goal is to make the WTA finals together. So we're gunning for it. <laughs> and and what's the process goal attached to that, Gabby? Stay in the moment, stick to the process, stick together. Those Girls. are three good points. Girls, you're the US Open 2023 Grand Slam champions. You know, a massive, massive congratulations from everyone at the podcast hopefully at some point whether it's on your cruise i don't know where your cruise is but around the caribbean or whether it is as you're Across the Atlantic. going from <laughs> going from toronto to montreal with your bag of cookies erin you'll have a little <laughs> moment where you'll be able to just sit back and realize what an incredible achievement that is and you know, keep keep building on it. But a big, big well done to you both, and all the very best over the next few weeks. Thank, Thank you. you. And and after that chat, we'd actually spoken earlier today as as a team alongside Mike Digby, who's out with the girls in Asia, who's a coach at the Soto Tennis Academy, and also Bruce, 
who is Aaron's coach, a, a great guy. And, and you know, we, we are quite a tight-knit team. We speak speak a lot. And we'd had a big team chat earlier today. And the girls had just said, well, some of those questions are test, Dan. You know, we weren't sure if you were speaking to us as as the podcast host or as as our coach. And, you know, as ever, it was it was so great to see the girls uh, speaking so openly about, about their experience. And, you know, I still think they are a little bit in shock and I, I can't help thinking again, if this is, this is the, the thing with tennis players, the, the lack of time to enjoy, to reflect. It is such a relentless sport, um, but a big, big well done again to Gabby and Aaron. And then lastly, we get to speak to Harry Heliavara and Anna Danilina. And again, I feel very lucky to be a part of this team, you know, been working with Harry over the last 12 months alongside Lloyd Glasspool and to, to be able to, to see what this meant to Harry and to Anna, you know, both incredibly likable characters. Uh, they went on this, you know, we, I just talked about it there with, with Gabby and Aaron. It's the, you know, the, the margin of success and failure is just so fine at that level. And again, in the first round, they ended up winning a 10-7 in the third set match against the number six seeds. And, you know, that could have been it. That could have been no relationship ever. They play one match together and move on. But now they're forever etched in the history of the US Open as the mixed doubles 2023 champions. A really great couple. Uh, Incidentally, this was the first time they'd actually spoken to each other since the event as well. And there's a a genuine relationship there and they'll always forever have that bond. So the mixed doubles champions of 2023 at the US Open, Harry Heliavara and Anna Danilina. So Harry and Anna, big welcome to Control the Controllables. And I have to start off by asking you, you win a Grand Slam. How did you celebrate, Anna? Uh, yeah, thank you for having me uh, here. Yeah, it's a pleasure and honor. I mean, uh, I had a little time to celebrate. I had a nice dinner with uh, with my team and some friends in New York. Uh, I think Harry, unfortunately, could not join us. He had to leave for uh, his Davis Cup matches. But I saw, I, I mean, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but you guys advanced. So, you know, it, it was a great success overall. So, it's pity we didn't celebrate, but yeah, it's a great result for him as well. Yeah, I, I, that's true. I had I had to leave the maybe two hours after the match was finished, but I got a nice, nice welcome from the captain on the way home to Finland. So <laughs> we were happy. They they brought us a glass of champagne to me and my wife. So we we had a very nice trip home. Oh, okay, good. And yes. isn't that typical of, of the sport of tennis? You know, you have the world moves so quicker. Huh? You know, you you you're winning a Grand Slam one minute. I believe Anna, you went off to San Diego to play another WTA tournament pretty much straight away. Harry, you're now jumping into the pressure cooker of a, of a Davis Cup tie, and we almost don't allow ourselves in our sport to enjoy enjoy the successes so so now that we're three or four weeks on harry you know what is your reflection of of that time you know a a great achievement uh the joy i've watched those videos and seen the joy in both of your faces as that final ball we're not sure who hit the ball who hit the ball 
<laughs> I think I it was think I right. did. <laughs> yeah, there's a, an amazing picture of that volley where we both try to hit it, but you can see it on the picture that she hit it. So after Anna hit the winning shot, but what are your reflections on on that time, your first Grand Slam title? I mean, of course, what more can you ask for if you you play to win? That's that's that was our our thing during the whole two weeks, and that that probably carried us through until the end. I mean, it's it's still I I'm surprised by how much attention I got at home in Finland, and also it's been. Yeah, I've also been surprised that many of the other guys here, the doubles guys on tour in the next tournaments, many have come and congratulated me. Uh, but of course, at the at the same time, it feels nice. But even if it was such a good feeling winning it, that the feeling it's easy to forget, and you you kind of drift into the into the other things in life, maybe too too quickly. And, and Anna, you, I guess, both had a a disappointing US Open from the standpoint of women's doubles and, and men's doubles, you know, both both lost relatively early in, in the event. Do you think that helped you guys being able to focus and, and, and come together? And especially seen as before the tournament even started, you didn't even know who each other were. You know, so was that was that was that time period important to be able to get on the practice court and maybe on reflection, looking back that it worked in your favor that you lost in the women's doubles early? Uh, maybe, maybe it did. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I, I got lucky with that. I started with mix. Harry had his first doubles match before our mix. For me, mix was the first use open match. Uh, you know, just starting with a mix, so it, it was good. Maybe for you know, like we we started well, we we beat a very good team, we beat the city team, and then I went on and played my doubles next day, and then unfortunately I lost the the day after that. So I was playing, you know, every single day. So by the time I played my second, we played our second mix, I was out of doubles already, so I could focus on uh, mixed a bit more. Which is yeah, I mean, unfortunate, but at least I, <laughs> I could focus on my mix a bit more after that. And tell us the story, Harry. We heard it on court. I think I'm trying to think which match it was when you first announced. I think it might have been the semi-final match in the interview that they did on the yeah. court on Louis Armstrong. <laughs> you announced that you'd just met each other at the signing desk, and you know that kind of took off as quite a quite a strong narrative now in the tennis world. I guess it's not that abnormal that mixed doubles partners come together a, a little bit late on. You know, I think for people outside of tennis, it's like completely bizarre. But tell us the actual story of, of how you guys came together to to start this partnership. Yeah, I think blind date is a good term for that. We, <laughs> I, I didn't know who she was before. And we, we both ended up in the in the referee's office where they have the where they have the papers to sign in for mixed doubles. And they also have the paper for people who are looking for a partner. I mean, I, I had been there a couple of times before checking if there were any girls looking for a partner, but then one time I went there and she was there just writing her name there on, on the, on the list. And uh, I was so, so, so to get this boy. right, to get this right, Harry, you were just hanging out at the referee's office looking for girls. 
that's the place to be if you want to if you want to meet some nice girls. Uh, no, no, and I'm very proud of myself. I was a brave boy, and I asked her directly. Didn't send a message, but I asked her. Oh, is that you who just wrote that name that's on the list? That's not 2023. Maybe... <laughs> exactly, but but um, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit old-fashioned in that way. But no, no, we we had a few few words there. Decided, okay, let's play. Let's see if we can get in and. And there we are, win- winners. And uh, there's one more thing that was actually very funny. I didn't tell anyone yet, but just before the signing deadline closed, the ATP tour manager called me and said, Harry, you're you're on the list with two different partners. <laughs> two timer. And that, oh. Yes. And that's, that, <laughs> that was very strange. Cause, but, but there was a misunderstanding with the, with the Japanese girl that she, that she had signed me in with her. But... I made the right decision to to stay with Anna there. <laughs> what it, I'm what glad it, he did. <laughs> and what what's it like to be so wanted, Harry? Uh, well, it's it's fair because <laughs> honestly, for example, French Open where I did not want to play mixed doubles, I got several several players asking me to play. But now U.S. Open, I actually wanted to play, and of course, no one asked me beforehand. But. <laughs> That I mean, it, it it's just how it goes. Sometimes that that was the maybe that was the reason that I and we are the champions of US Open. There's a, there's some life lessons in there for for you young guys and girls going on a night out looking for looking for love. You won't find it. You know, go <laughs> go out and don't look for it, and it lands it lands on your lap. But it does open up, I think, quite an important point, Anna, because. I'm a massive, massive believer in high standards, low expectations. And I, and I think where a lot of tennis players go wrong is they have high expectations. And as soon as the expectations rise, then there's a lot of negative energy that potentially comes from that. And having the very fortunate position of being around you guys, you carried yourself with a low expectation way whilst keeping your standards very high. And 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 maybe that just meeting each other story and, and at that kind of start of any relationship is is that more honeymoon period where you know you're maybe not allowing people in to see your flaws at that point and you're just kind of keeping everything quite light and fluffy. Um on reflection, do you think that low expectation worked in your favor? Uh I mean I think it did and looking back some of my best results actually came from having low expectations it, at the beginning like me and uh, Bia uh, uh, I mean uh, Beatrice Kodatmaya when uh, we went to Australia we also kind of sagged in last moment so we had zero expectations we never played uh, together before and it did work and yeah I guess sometimes having less expectation like you said it worked very well and then just better maybe to concentrate on what you can do best and on your level of game and then expectations will come later and the results will come if you uh trying to you know play consistently at the same level that you already have maybe you've solved the secret to success in the sport in that in that one sentence anna and and, and i have to then move to the final harry because I believe first time both playing a match on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Yes, um, that's correct. And playing against the world number one men's doubles player as he was moving into that, Austin Krychek, 
the world number one women's doubles player moving into that position, Jess Pagula, and also the world number three singles player in, in Jess Pagula, both American, off Rash Stadium, a pretty good crowd. I mean, it's not easy to make that stadium look packed, but there was a good old, good old crowd there. And I guess everything was against you. How were you able to, I'm not saying you weren't nervous because I'm sure you were, but both of you managed to show very little signs of nerves in your game. And, you know, both came out firing. You won the match. You weren't handed the match. You know, you came up with big shots and big moments, big serves, big returns, wanted the ball at the net. How were you able to get into that mindset in such a big match on in such a big occasion when you hadn't experienced that before? Maybe that was the key that we we didn't have a negative we didn't have any negative thoughts from that court uh, we were we were probably the underdogs in that final that always helps and i i heard afterwards that for example austin krychek had never played on the on Arthur Ashe before either so it was a new situation for him as well with with the pressure of winning obviously we we also wanted to win this no denying that uh, for me personally the semi final was a helped me a lot i felt like i felt almost more pressure in the semi-final serving for the final spot than actually ser serving for no. the title i don't know why but i was so confident in the final from from the from the previous matches and yeah we, we played a great match we we supported each other we we didn't do much wrong there was a, maybe two three games in second set where it could have turned around but we just kept doing this, the same things kept kept not going ahead with our thoughts. And I think we were just a better team. And uh, I mean, I, I still can't believe we broke Austin Krejcik three times in that match. He's one of the best servers in men, men's doubles. I played him in Davis Cup the week after, weren't even close to a break point. But there you go. Sometimes <laughs> but you didn't happen. you didn't have Anna next to you in Davis Cup. That's what I was going to say. And, uh, this, is, this is what I'm saying. We were supporting each other. We were both playing well without without too much expectations, just going for the shots and playing to win. And Anna, when are we going to see this dream team back together? I'm, I'm hoping in Australia, but it kind of, I guess, depends on me if I can keep my doubles ranking up. So no pressure, but a little bit. I just need to keep my level up with, again, maybe no expectations, but good results. If I finish good in the end of the year, and of course, if Harry wants to play with me, I'd love to play Australia. I'm I'm there for it. It also depends on my results. So we 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 gotta do a team effort team effort here before Aussie Open, so that we make sure that we're in. Maybe even get a wild card. Well, we've it's a control the controllables exclusive that you guys have, have made your commitment to each other. I'm going to send this to Craig Tiley in Australia and tell him, hey, <laughs> let's give the fans what they want, regardless of whether ranking gets them in. You know, everyone loved following the story. I know my my friends at home, my family, but I, I know so many people. And to see the joy on your faces and and the way that you guys just came together to to gel and bond was fantastic. And I thank you for allowing me to be a, a small part of that as well. Um, it's it really is incredible, and 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 there's no reason why you can't now use that as well to build build on your doubles careers. Uh, but as is tradition at the at the podcast, we have a really quick quick fire round. 
Um, because we've got all of you doubles winners on, we're going to keep it really quick. But uh, first question to Harry. Uh, Lloyd or Anna? Anna. <laughs> and to Harry, men's doubles or mixed doubles? Men's doubles. Anna, women's doubles or mixed doubles? Um, Mixed doubles. There you go. That's the loyalty we're after, Anna. And, exactly. <laughs> and uh, to, to you, Anna, the current, and you're not allowed to say yourself, the current best women's doubles player in the world, in your opinion. Oh, uh, well, so hard to say. So many good ones. Um, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to offend anyone. Honestly, there's just so many good ones, even in the top ten or top twenty. I just cannot, <laughs> I just cannot pick one. Excuse me, Anna. This is not in the contract of control the controllables <laughs> to sit on the fence. <laughs> I'm going to come <laughs> back to you, Harry. Best men's doubles player in the world currently, Austin Krejcik. Back to you, Anna. I'll say maybe Coco Golf. And the last question, and Harry, you can take this one first, but Anna, if you disagree, then please do. Should there be WTA and ATP doubles ranking points for mixed doubles events? No, it's it's a different sport. I, I guess it's, yeah, I guess I have to agree. I would love to have some points. I mean, it's all, obviously it would be nice, but it's just because it's not that many people who can get in it it kind of would not be very fair if they yeah if the points will be awarded unfortunately but it would be nice to to get something for the win <laughs> so last last it got some you got eighty five thousand dollars you said that you did all right <laughs> maybe no points but you got you got some money in your pocket but yeah. the the last last question there is people out there that say you are a Grand Slam champion if you win the mixed doubles. And there's people out there that are very cynical and say you aren't. And it's an exhibition event and it shouldn't count towards being a Grand Slam title. What's your thoughts on that, Anna? I mean, for me, we play at the Grand Slam. It's called the Grand Slam. So it, it is a Grand Slam. And uh, I mean, it's the same players participating in doubles and in mixed. So for me, it feels like it's a Grand Slam title. I mean, maybe some people disagree. Of course, maybe less pressure because there's no points, but it's also a bit more difficult because you're basically combining men and women and it's a bit more unpredictable, I guess. So it's, a, it's still best doubles players playing. So I would still say it's a title. Maybe I'm biased. <laughs> Ari? I agree. We, we have a trophy. We have a Grand Slam winner's trophy. If that, that's not enough, I don't know what is. You're Grand Slam champions. You're the US Open 2023 mixed doubles champions. No one will ever take that away from you both. It's a title. It's an achievement that millions and millions of people set about trying to achieve and don't achieve. So it's something, whatever happens in your careers, you can be very, very proud of. A big, big well done to you both. Thank you for coming on and all the very best for, for the rest of 2023. Thank, Thank you, very you much. so much. And that's it. That's a, that's a wrap, folks. We've, we've managed to get all of the pairs, the winning pairs from this year's US Open. Uh, doubles is a big passion of mine. I know there's many people that are pushing the doubles word out there. And I really 
want to to continue getting that out there. I think we need to get to know these personalities, these relationships. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time on the tour this year. I actually think Netflix is getting it wrong. You know, they should be following these doubles pairs, the relationships, the the ups, the downs, the breakups. It's like Love Island on steroids. You know, it really is. There's so much that happens. And I think it would give an incredible, incredible insight into the world of tennis, the realities of tennis, right? It's it's not all glamour. It's not all big, big teams around the player. It's real difficult struggles and decisions and making relationships work. And in doubles, that's not so easy to do. You know, we're kind of brought up as as singles players in tennis. And when we're being when we're brought up, we're we're told to be selfish and independent and look after ourselves. And then what we have is we've got these adults that have done that for 20 years. And then they're told, well, actually, no, now you're playing in a team. So now you've got to try and work as a team. And, you know, a lot of them find that very difficult to do. And it takes work. It's like a it's like a marriage. It really is. You're spending so much time together. You're reliant upon each other for so many, for so many areas, whether it's from practice to travel to staying fit and healthy to staying committed to playing the number of tournaments. And these doubles players play so many tournaments. Um, it's a really interesting world to be a part of. And and I'm very grateful to to currently be a part of that and to be having the experiences. Hopefully I can share some of those on the podcast through these amazing guests that come on. And as ever, we will keep striving to bring you all of these amazing tennis people, you know, getting under the bonnet of the world of tennis at all the different areas and through all the different lenses and wishing you the best wherever you are in the world. Thank you for listening. Please keep sharing, liking, rating, reviewing, getting these podcasts out far and wide. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>